Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to another bonus episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive all year, every year. That's right, 365 days per year, and 366 days per leap year. And thank you again for joining us for another installment of Another Christmas Story. This week's chapter, chapter 22, will be read to you by Jay Skipworth of the long-running, always amazing, and iconic Film Strip Podcast, whom you will also be able to hear on the Gridiron Podcast. I don't have any housekeeping to go over with you all this week, except to say Happy Canada Day to all of our Canadian listeners. I can't believe we're in July already. Where has the year gone? This weekend is already Independence Day weekend in America, the 4th of July. It's crazy. We hope everyone who celebrates these two patriotic holidays have a great one and a great long weekend. But other than that, I have nothing else for you right now except to say sorry again if you can hear my air conditioning running in the background during the moments when I speak. It is hot as hell here in New York, and I would literally melt like the Wicked Witch of the West if I didn't have it running. So apologies if you can hear a low humming in the background. It is what it is. Luckily, I'm not reading this week's chapter to y'all. Jay is. And with that, I'll hand it right over to him to read to you chapter 22 of another Christmas story entitled Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Take it away, Jay. Chapter 22. Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. December the 24th, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As Officer Seamus Dwyer expected, being on standard patrol duty on Christmas Eve in the middle of an enormous snowstorm was as uneventful as one could imagine. He and Andrew spent the majority of the morning alternating between slowly walking and even more slowly driving up and down the snowy streets of midtown Manhattan, keeping their eyes open for anybody committing small crimes or worse, doing something that could endanger the lives of all those in the surrounding area, including the President of the United States and her foreign visitors. It appeared as though the spirit of the season had infected even the citizens of New York, however, because not only did they not see anything suspicious, nobody committing any crimes or looking as though they may want to, but passerby on the streets were being far more jovial to one another than they normally were. New Yorkers were always in a rush, pushing slow walkers out of the way while angrily cursing as they quickly headed toward their destinations. 
Today, however, despite it being one of the most busy and stressful days of the year, people hurried up and down the icy sidewalks, arms laden with Christmas gifts, with good-natured smiles on their faces, and exuding ridiculous levels of patience and good cheer. It was enough to make Seamus sick to his stomach. Seamus liked Christmas, the whole Christmas season, but ever since becoming a cop, he'd become much more cynical toward that time of year. He didn't quite know why, but he assumed it had something to do with the fact that as a rookie, while climbing the ranks of the NYPD, he'd been forced to work countless hours, holidays, missing family parties, dinners, and he supposed it had made him a bit bitter. And here he was, after 20 years on the force, being forced to work on Christmas Eve after having previously booked it off, yet again missing another family get-together. And given the state of things with his wife, who even knew if there would ever be another family get-together to miss this time next year? And now for what? Not to escort the leader of the free world and her guests around as they toured Manhattan, but to amble around Midtown for 16 hours on patrol duty. It annoyed the hell out of him because there he was, sitting in the driver's seat of his patrol car, parked in the corner of 5th Avenue and 52nd Street, watching through the icy front windshield as his partner, cradling a paper bag full of roasting chestnuts in one hand, wrote a ticket for an illegally parked Toyota a few meters away. Seamus had always been impressed with Andrew's work ethic and the man's ability to do any job assigned to him, no matter how mundane or beneath him, without a word of complaint, a smile on his face the entire time. He didn't know if it was because the man was brought up in a stereotypically Asian family or what, but Seamus admired him for it and tried to be as dedicated to his work as he was, especially when it was at his most boring like today. So that entire morning, he grinned and bared it as he surveyed the surroundings with alert eyes, looking for any signs of danger, keeping all the complaints he had about being forced to perform the work of a rookie 20 years younger than him on the inside. He was drumming his fingers impatiently on the steering wheel of the parked vehicle when Andrew hurried back over to it, climbed in the passenger seat, shivering. It's freezing out there. Well, shut the damn door before you let all the heat out, Seamus instructed when Andrew was already halfway in the process of doing so. I haven't seen it snow this bad in nearly a decade, he indicated, ducking to peer out of the windshield at the bright white sky above. If Elsa doesn't stop early enough, Williams and her entourage may be stuck in town overnight, which means we'll be stuck working until the early hours of tomorrow morning. Andrew gave a half-hearted shrug and a what-can-you-do type of way before holding out the bag of roasting chestnuts for Seamus to reach into. At least it gives us an excuse to miss Christmas Day celebrations. Seamus pursed his lips, grabbing a handful of the blissfully warm holiday snack. I don't think missing Christmas Day with Ashley's family would exactly bode well for me. Things still rocky with you two? Andrew asked, concerned. Indubitably, Seamus threw a chestnut into his mouth and bit down on it with a satisfying crunch. Maybe you shouldn't brazenly flirt with Pendleton every chance you get then, Andrew generally suggested. Seamus rolled his eyes. Flirting isn't cheating, he pointed out. It's not my fault that Lindsay wants me. I can't help it that we have chemistry. He flashed his partner a toothy grin. But in all seriousness, as sexy as she is, I wouldn't cheat on Ashley, especially with somebody like Lindsay. She's too... He searched for the right word before finally settling on controlling. Andrew laughed. I think the only reason you have a problem with her is because she's the only one who can put you in your place. Seamus shrugged half-heartedly as he continued. But seriously, I hope that you and Ashley can work things out. How are the kids handling everything? Seamus popped another chestnut into his mouth. 
I think they're still too young to notice that Mommy and Daddy are always fighting and that Daddy is sleeping in the guest room half the time, hoping things get better before they become more aware of things like that. He paused for a moment before bitterly adding, I doubt that missing that flight to Massachusetts with them this morning is going to help my case, though. Ashley's reasonable, Andrew pointed out. You guys have been together for years. She's got to understand the requirements of your job by now. Seamus nodded, peering out the driver's side window at the cars hurrying by with far more confidence and speed than they should have given the current weather conditions. Given that they were going the speed limit, however, there was nothing he could do to stop them. Distracted, he asked his partner, So why aren't you more upset about missing Christmas Eve celebrations with your family? Andrew stared down into the bag he was holding in his hand, searching for the perfect chestnut. It's part of the job, he replied nonchalantly. Sometimes we have to do things we don't want to do. There's no point in complaining about it. Seamus rolled his eyes with a laugh of disbelief as he exclaimed, <laughs> Come on! What? Andrew asked defensively. How long have we been partners? Seamus stared pointedly at Andrew for a moment, but when it became obvious that he wasn't going to speak, he added, Look, it's fine if you don't want to talk about it. I get it. But just say so instead of lying to me. I'm not. You were secretly relieved you were called into work today because you were planning on coming out to your family tonight at dinner with Barry by your side and you were scared shitless of doing it. Seamus popped another chestnut into his mouth. Don't deny it, he added when Andrew, whose face had gone beet red, opened his mouth to reply. I could read you like a book. Andrew closed his mouth at a loss for words. He stared out of the front windshield for a moment, seemingly becoming lost inside of himself as he watched the snow falling from the sky before admitting... I'm just worried about how my parents are going to take it. That's all. Dude, you came out to the entire precinct, Seamus pointed out. You know what some of the boys in blue are like? And that can't have been easy for you. Look what happened. Nobody cared. I'm sure your parents will be just as understanding. You don't know my parents, Andrew replied with a hollow laugh. There's a good chance they'll call me a stain on my family. Did I call you a stand on the force when you came out to me? Seamus asked, an eyebrow raised. No, I just shrugged and said, cool, and asked where you wanted to grab lunch. Andrew laughed at the memory before sadly pointing out, you're not my family. Seamus winced at the words, and here I was thinking we were brothers. We are, Andrew said quickly, reassuring his partner, but you're not part of my biological Asian family. Things can be complicated with them. They, well, he shrugged, they may not take it so well. If they have a problem with you being gay, that's their problem, not yours, Seamus forcefully pointed out. But look, I'm sure you're overthinking this and that everything will be fine. Can we change the subject, please? Andrew snapped, his voice firm. Taken aback, Seamus nodded as the two police officers drifted into a semi-uncomfortable silence, staring out at the city through the frosty windows of the car, looking for any signs of trouble. Seamus couldn't help but feel bad for his partner, and wondered if his words were actually consoling or were making him feel worse. After all, he had no idea what the man was going through and couldn't possibly imagine how hard it must be for him to be afraid and truly show himself to his family for the first time. Andrew, meanwhile, felt guilty for snapping at Seamus, whom he knew was only trying to help. In an attempt to ease the tension in the car and break the silence that was beginning to stretch longer between them, Andrew held out the bag of chestnuts to his partner once again and jerked his face forward in the direction of the parked car he had just written a ticket for, visible through the icy front windshield. 
It amazes me that people still don't know the city's parking rules for when it snows. Maybe they're from out of town, Seamus suggested, gratefully taking another chestnut. Andrew shook his head. When I ran the plates, the car came up as having been registered to the same address in Brooklyn for the past three years. People are just idiots. Seamus laughed. (laughs) I could have told you that. Before another word could be exchanged between the two men, there was a loud screeching sound that was followed by a loud crash. Immediately springing into action, Seamus and Andrew threw open the doors to their squad car and climbed out, hands placed cautiously on the handles of their guns secured in their holsters. Facing south, Seamus instantly spotted a car crash a few blocks away from them and felt a wave of relief flow through him due to the fact that it wasn't anything more serious, yet at the same time feeling annoyed that he'd have to spend the next half an hour dealing with a fender bender. Come on, he instructed Andrew, let's go. And without another word, the two men climbed back into their squad car, turned on the flashing red and blue lights atop of it, and began to guide it down Fifth Avenue, their siren wailing so that the cars in front of them would do their best to get out of their way quickly. It took longer than it should have, given the state of the roads and current traffic conditions, for the two officers to drive six blocks south where the accident had occurred at the corner of 5th Avenue and 48th Street, directly in the center of the intersection. It was starting to cause traffic to back up, heading south and east, but when they finally did arrive on the scene, they parked their squad car in the middle of the street and left the lights atop of it flashing despite turning off the siren. As they climbed out, it was to find an old lady getting yelled at by a larger, heavyset man who, judging from the shade of purple his face was turning, looked like he was about to have a heart attack. What happened here? Seamus asked authoritatively as he approached the two individuals, while Andrew began to circle the two cars in order to assess the damage. It appeared as though one, a 1997 Navy Corolla, had come to a stop in the middle of the street where the other, a 2005 Silver Honda, had T-boned it driving south. The old bag here ran a light and came to a stop in the middle of the road while I was in the process of driving through the intersection, the heavyset man roared, wildly flailing his arms. I already told you, the stooped, feeble-looking old woman began, holding her head high. I made that light. Then why did you stop in the middle of the road? The man demanded, rounding on her so quickly that she took a startled step backward, nearly overbalancing on the icy ground. Hey, watch it, Seamus snapped at the man as he grabbed the woman's arm to steady her. Are you all right? He asked her softly, receiving an uncertain nod of the head in response. Flashing her quick smile, he let go of her arm before asking both her and the beast of a man standing before them, license and registration, please. As the old woman began to fumble around with the overlarge purse she was clutching tightly to her chest, the huge man withdrew his wallet from his pocket, mumbling angrily to himself. Seamus watched them both, waiting patiently, when Andrew wandered over to join the conversation. The damage doesn't look too extensive, he informed Seamus and the two individuals who had crashed. No scratches or dents, only some paint rubbing off of both cars, but it's nothing a little buffering won't be able to take care of. Seamus nodded in response as the purple-faced man snapped. We can't be sure about internal damage. He thrust out his license and registration for Seamus to take at the same time the old woman held hers out gently. Irked by the man's overbearing presence, Seamus took the woman's first just to annoy the big guy even more before snapping the information from his hands with a little more force than was necessary. After glancing over them briefly, he passed them both to their respective owners. Thank you, Betsy. He smiled at the woman before returning a scowl at the large man, nodding his head. Richard. Turning back to the woman, he asked gently, If you made the light, why did you stop in the middle of the intersection? I had to, Betsy implored the officer. I didn't want to hit the dog. 
Seamus and Andrew exchanged an uncertain look as Richard scoffed loudly and rolled his eyes. Didn't want to hit the dog, he mocked repeatedly. A likely story. Ignoring the man who was wearing on his already thin nerves, Seamus asked politely, What dog? A massive dog darted in front of my car and I had to stop short to avoid hitting it, Betsy exclaimed. He looked terrified. He darted off that way, she motioned vaguely down East 48th Street. I didn't see any dog, Richard spat with derision. I think the old bat is making up stories to explain why she ran a red light so her license isn't taken away. Enough, Seamus snapped angrily as Betsy gasped, offended. Listen, dick. He stepped forward so that he and the purple-faced man were barely an inch apart now, stared coldly into his eyes. I'm the cop here, all right? Keep your mouth shut until I address you. Otherwise, I'll arrest you for disrespecting a police officer. Richard looked affronted by the threat, and although his narrow eyes flashed dangerously, he stayed quiet as instructed, smirking in a self-satisfied manner. Seamus turned to his partner. Meeting his eyes, Andrew nodded in response to the unasked question. I'll see if I can find the dog, he said, before turning on his heel and darting off down East 48th Street without looking back at his partner or the two civilians he was serving as mediator for. Shivering, he walked as fast as possible, his eyes darting every which way for signs of the dog the old woman had claimed she had seen, and as he internally reflected on his partnership with Andrew. Fifteen years ago, they had been assigned one another's partners, and since then, they had been inseparable. They had become as close as brothers. The rapport they had developed between them was reflected in their policing style. Seamus always played the tough cop with a gut feeling, while he played the more sympathetic, analytical one. Andrew had known from the moment he witnessed how enraged the burly Richard had been that Seamus would be taking the lead with him. Andrew was shaken from his internal thoughts, though, when two blocks away from the car accident he left behind him, he spotted two Middle Eastern street vendors, hawking scarves, costume jewelry, and knockoff purses, bending low to peer beneath the table on which all of their supply was piled atop, yelling at a large dog that was cowering beneath it. Though Andrew couldn't understand what the two men were saying, it was clear from their tones of voice they were agitated and determined to get the dog to come out from its hiding place, only succeeding in frightening it even further. Taking pity on the scared animal, which he couldn't quite get a proper glimpse of from his position, Andrew stepped forward with a wide smile. Gentlemen, he exclaimed brightly, stifling a laugh as both men jumped in surprise at the sound of his voice and scrambled to stand up as he approached. Is there a problem here? No, officer, one man who sported a bushy mustache replied quickly. No problems here. I see. Andrew's eyes flickered over to the taller of the two men, who had a turban wrapped around his head and whose eyes were nervously scanning the table, consisting of at least a few illegal products. His smile widening, Andrew gestured at the table before jerking his head up at the sky above, from which the snow was still falling steadily and heavily. You might want to think about packing up shop for the day, he remarked, before the snow ruins all of your goods, or, you know, before a less understanding officer than myself happens to stroll by. The two men exchanged a suspicious glance, clearly unsure of whether or not this was a trap. It wasn't. Andrew, like most members of the NYPD, normally didn't bother finding or arresting street vendors due to illegal knockoff products or lack of permits. The fact of the matter was, there were just too many of them. But still, the threat of an arrest normally made street vendors cooperate if cops passing by needed something from them. I'll tell you what, Andrew continued, when it became clear that both men were too scared to say anything. Let me take that terrified dog hiding under the table with me, and you two can pack up everything here and find someplace warm to wait out the rest of the storm. Do we have a deal? 
A deal, yes. Both men nodded unenthusiastically, stepping away from the table to allow the satisfied officer to step forward. Smirking to himself, Andrew crouched down beside the table to peer under it, coming face to face with the animal that had caused the accident two blocks away. The dog in question was massive, with an enormous head and brindle fur. Though it looked big enough to take on a grown man in a fight, it was shrinking backwards nervously, its eyes wide and worried. It's okay, Andrew spoke softly as he slowly extended a hand toward the creature. It's okay, I'm not going to hurt you. Though the dog initially shied away from Andrew's outstretched hand, it cautiously leaned forward to sniff it in an attempt to discern whether or not it posed a danger. When it became clear to the animal that it didn't, the dog licked the officer's fingers before leaning its head against them, inviting Andrew to scratch between its ears. As he stroked the head, Andrew wondered if the dog belonged to a family, noticing that it looked well-fed before realizing that it lacked a collar. It was either a stray or had been abandoned. Feeling sorry for it, Andrew asked, Do you want food? At the mention of the word food, the dog's tail began to wag excitedly. Yeah? You want food? Come on, then. Andrew sprung to his feet once again, pleased to see that when he did so, the dog cautiously emerged from beneath the table. At the sight of how large it actually was, both Middle Eastern men took a few steps backwards. Addressing them, Andrew pointedly reminded them to move their products inside and out of the storm before he began to lead the dog back toward the scene of the accident by mentioning the word food over and over again. Each time he uttered the word, the dog got more excited until it was jumping high in the air beside him. Andrew was impressed by just how much height it could get, though this, coupled with its size, seemed to make passerby extremely weary, for people on the sidewalk began to allow them a wide berth as they walked by. When they reached the crashed vehicles, besides which the police car was still parked, its lights flashing brightly, Andrew noticed how far traffic was backing up traveling south on 5th Avenue and west on 48th Street because the cars are blocking the intersection. Loud horns blared impatiently, which only prompted the officer to roll his eyes. New Yorkers could be so impatient. As he and the dog came into view, Seamus, Richard, and Betsy, the former two of whom had been in a heated conversation, turned to stare at them. The sight of the dog caused the old woman's face to break out in a wide, triumphant smile. You see? she excitedly asked. I told you I saw a dog. That's it. That's him. Richard's face went even more purple at the words. Seamus nodded, impressed. Nice work, he commended his partner. It's a stray, Andrew informed him. We should call animal control. We can lock him in the car in the meantime. When Seamus nodded in agreement, Andrew opened the rear door of their cruiser and instructed, Go on, boy. Get inside. The dog's excitement evaporated instantly at the command, and it stared at the open door with trepidation. Don't you want food? Andrew asked. This got the dog's attention, and it began to wag its tail excitedly, but still it refused to get into the car. It appeared that the animal had trusted the officer enough to follow him to the point, but if he wanted to climb into the car, the officer needed to fork up. That's when Andrew remembered the bag of chestnuts. Reaching into the front of the patrol car, Andrew pulled out the bag of chestnuts and waved them in front of the dog's face. Want food? He asked again. The dog let out a bark of excitement and ex eagerly jumped high into the air. Jesus Christ! Seamus exclaimed. Look how high that thing can get. It's like a booster rocket. Andrew laughed. Maybe that's what we should call it. Rocket? Booster, Andrew clarified as he threw the bag of chestnuts into the back seat of the car, after which Booster immediately dove in after them. Quickly, he shut the door, trapping the dog in the warm vehicle. Breathing a sigh of relief, he noted, Well... 
That's that then. He slapped his hands together. Mission accomplished. I'm going to call animal control. As he moved to step aside, he warily eyed the furious-looking Richard. You have everything under control here? He asked his partner. Piece of cake, Seamus nodded confidently. Go do what you gotta do. And after Andrew walked away from the three of them, pulling his phone from his pocket as he did so, Seamus turned back to the two civilians in order to settle their argument once and for all so that they and all of the cars backed up in the traffic because of them could get back on their merry way once again. Well, it looks like Betsy was telling the truth, Dick, he pointed out brightly as Betsy shot the man a smug look. She didn't run a red light. She just short-stopped to avoid hitting a dog. Doesn't change the fact that she caused the accident by short-stopping, Richard growled. Besides, that could be any dog, he jerked his head at the patrol car. It doesn't mean that that old biddy is telling the truth. Excuse me? Betsy's mouth fell open, aghast. Seamus held his hand to prevent the woman from saying anything else. I think she is. I don't care, Richard spat. I still want to exchange information with her due to the damage to my car. Damage to your car? Paint rubbed off, Seamus corrected. But sure, you can exchange information if that's what you want. Though if I were you, I'd just be grateful that neither car has been wrecked. Go on your way and enjoy your Christmas Eve. Oh yeah? Why is that? Because whether she ran a red light or short stopped to avoid hitting the dog, you crashed into her, Seamus pointed out. The way the insurance companies will see it, and the way I would testify in court, Dick, is that any accident was your fault. You shouldn't have just started forward while she was in the middle of the intersection. He smiled wide as Richard began trembling at the words. It looked as though a vein was about to burst in his forehead. But sure, I can oversee the exchange of information between you two. Forget it, Richard hissed through his gritted teeth. I'll buffer out the paint myself. If you insist, Seamus shrugged, watching as Richard stormed away to climb into his car. Merry Christmas, Dick, he called cheerily after him, stifling a laugh as the man climbed into the driver's seat of his Toyota and slammed the door shut loudly in response. I don't know how I can thank you, officer, Betsy said to Seamus, feeling overwhelmed as the cop turned to look down at her. I'm just doing my job, ma'am. But if you want to thank me, you can be a little more careful on the road and have a very Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you so much, Betsy hugged him tightly around the midsection, taking the officer by surprise. Same goes to you. Seamus watched as she slowly climbed back into her car before stepping back on, up onto the sidewalk as Andrew walked back over to him. All good? All good, he replied, watching as Betsy slowly began to drive down East 48th Street, allowing Richard to continue his journey down 5th Avenue. What about with you? All good, Andrew confirmed as he peered through the window of their patrol car, the dog lying in the back seat within. Animal control is on its way. Should be here in a few minutes. Apparently, a car was already in the area. Good, Seamus nodded before noting regretfully. I wish we still had those chestnuts. Andrew laughed at the statement before silence settled between the two policemen, who watched as the pent-up traffic resumed in all directions. As they basked in the glow of the Christmas lights strung up all around them, shivering heavily as the snow continued to fall steadily from the sky as they waited for animal control to arrive. The morning was as eventless and went by as slow as Hudson expected it would, and still, almost two o'clock in the afternoon now, he had yet to pick up one stray animal or receive one call from dispatch about any sightings of unaccompanied beasts roaming the streets. It was just as well. 
Traffic was even worse than Hudson had anticipated, and Elsa's snow was badly impairing the vision of the drivers on the road. By the time Hudson managed to report to an area dispatch sent to him, chances were the hypothetical animals in question would be gone. So Hudson spent his morning aimlessly cruising around Midtown, a metaphor he thought apt for his life, and listening to the dulcet crooning of Bing Crosby on the radio. Unlike a lot of people, especially of his gender and race, Hudson didn't mind Christmas music. He found it to be extremely soothing in its best of ways. In fact, Hudson was pulled over on the curb of 57th Street, right beside Trump Tower, belting along to let it snow, and between mouthfuls of the meatball sub that served as his lunch, when he received his first phone call of the day. Go for Hudson. Hey, hun, it's Abby. Abby! Hudson straightened up at the sound of the cheerful voice, noticing his heart rate increase suddenly. Finally have work for me? Finally have work for me? Do I need work to give my favorite driver a call? Abby asked, and in his mind's eye, Hudson could just picture the woman winking playfully at him. I suppose not. It's just that you normally do. Well, if I didn't call you for work, I wouldn't hear from you at all. Hudson smirked at their repartee. Abigail Abby Collins was the person at ACS whom he got along with the most. And just so happened that she happened to be a 39-year-old African-American woman going through a divorce. That wasn't the only reason that Hudson appreciated her company, however. Besides being sweet and extremely funny, when she found out about his shameful past, she didn't shy away from him. Indeed, if anything, she seemed to grow closer to him after he confided in her. Hudson definitely believed that his feelings for her were more than just platonic co-workers, but he would never dare make a move on her. One, he wasn't sure what her feelings for him were, and two, she was going through a divorce. He'd wait until it was finalized, at the very least. In the meantime, he was happy with the close friendship full of flirty banter that the two had cultivated and which had defined their relationship thus far. Well, if I knew you liked talking to me so much, Hudson allowed his voice to trail away as Abby laughed. <laughs> How's your Christmas going, sugar? Abby asked. What are you doing for the holiday tomorrow? Oh, just spending the day with family at my mom's house, Hudson admitted. What about you? Nothing at all, Abby sighed softly. My parents are spending the holiday in the Caribbean this year, so I think I'm just going to spend it in my pajamas, eating takeout, and watching Christmas films. Hudson hesitated at his words, wondering whether it would be weird to invite her to his family's celebration so that she wouldn't have to spend the day alone. Before he could come to a conclusion, however, Abby continued... Anyway, as chance would have it, I do have a job for you. I knew you had an ulterior motive for calling me, Hudson teased, eliciting a laugh from the woman. It's about time, though, he admitted. It's been dead today. I haven't picked up a single animal yet. I'm getting similar complaints from the other drivers, Abby informed him. Frankly, I'm glad. The stray animals of this city are probably hiding in the warm areas to escape the cold, which means they'll survive the holidays without being locked up and put down by us. Though she obviously couldn't seem, Hudson nodded his agreement. Unfortunately, the subject of my call isn't so lucky. What is and where is it? Hudson asked, pulling his truck away from the curb and guiding it back into the traffic, snaking down the street. Stray dog at the corner of 5th Avenue and 48th Street, Abby replied, as Hudson turned his truck left into the heavy traffic of 5th Avenue. Right near H&M, ran into traffic and caused a minor accident. Is the dog all right? Hudson asked his stomach lurching uncomfortably. He's fine, Abby assured him. The two police officers responding to the scene of the accident managed to trick him into their squad car. That's who you'll want to ask for, Officers Lee and Dwyer. 
Got it. Have fun, Abby replied in a sing-song voice. And don't be a stranger, sweetie. A girl gets bored sitting here all alone on Christmas Eve. Feel free to pick up the phone and call me every now and then. Maybe even later today if you stay as busy as you are right now. Hudson smirked to himself. I'll talk to you later, Abby. His answer was apparently enough to satisfy the woman who hung up on him without another word, leaving Hudson alone to overanalyze every minute detail of their conversation as it continued to follow the traffic south. Thanks for that, Jay. No joke, you have one of the most awesome podcasting voices in the business, and Filmstrip is legendary, so I'm honored you lent us your talents to help bring a chapter of my little Christmas story to life. Like everyone before you has, you raised the bar, especially with those New York accents, my friend. And listeners, as always, thank you for taking this year-long journey with us and strapping in for the long haul to see where these characters and this plot goes. I appreciate each and every one of you more than you know, and I've received some wonderful comments and feedback from all of y'all. So please, Keep all of that coming, and please, if you're enjoying the story, consider sharing it with your family and friends on your social media feeds while tagging streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, Hallmark, because hey, you never know, right? In order to get it in front of as many ears as possible, or as many eyes, because the text of each chapter you hear is made available on our website each week as well. So if reading is more of your thing, or more of their thing, they can read our weekly installments at www.tissapodcast.com. And if you enjoy Tissa Podcast proper, if you ever want to comment on a movie or television show that we cover, give us feedback on a specific episode, comment on this book, or just interact with us and other listeners of the show in general, check out our social media feeds. All you have to do to get to each one is go to www.tissapodcast.com slash Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, or Facebook group. Our Facebook group is by far the most active of our social media pages. It's always busy year-round, and not just with Christmas chatter either, although that is obviously our primary focus. There's plenty of talk about pop culture, comic books, movies, TV shows, memes, and other holidays as well, especially those other Burr Month holidays we all love, like Halloween and Thanksgiving, which lead up to the most wonderful day of the year itself. It's also kind of become a one-stop shop for many of the Christmas podcasts that you know and love on the Christmas Podcast Network. So, not only will you find new episodes of Tis the Podcast there and get to interact with Julia, Tom, and myself there, but you'll also find new episodes of Totally Rad Christmas, Christmas Clatter, TGI Podcast, A Cozy Christmas Podcast, Advent Calendar House Podcast, Christmas Conversations, Planning for Christmas, all of your favorites posted there as well. And find all of the hosts of said shows you know and love on the website too. Always willing to interact with anyone and everyone about anything. It's truly a mini Christmas family that's formed within that Facebook group. And I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but I know I speak for Tom, Julia, and myself when I say it's the thing we are most proud of in regards to the show. But speaking of the show, if you want more bonus episodes, Christmas cards, enamel pins, ringtones, etc., check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash tisapodcast or www.tisapodcast.com slash Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, 
you can get full-length bonus episodes of the show. After a slow start to the year, we have been dropping one bonus episode per week the past few months, and we have no intention of slowing down. If you're a fan of Halloween, September and October will be full of spooky season content for y'all, with Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and Christmas-themed content aplenty following right on its heels. So if you're not a patron yet, now is the time to consider joining. If you were a patron who has dropped off, now is the time to consider rejoining. There's plenty of stuff up there, so much so it's almost like a separate show running parallel to Tis a Podcast at this point. There's truly something for everyone, so check it out. All of the money we receive from y'all gets recycled back into Tis a Podcast and helps us put out some new swag and improve the quality of the show in general. But there are also other free ways to help the podcast besides subscribing to Patreon and engaging with us on and sharing our social media pages. You can help the show in a free way by leaving us a review on iTunes because every new review helps new listeners find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer 365 days per year or, you guessed it, 366 days every leap year. Coming up on our main show this upcoming Monday, July 5th, our first proper episode of July. Can you believe that? You'll get to hear our episode in which we discuss the I Love Lucy Christmas show and Christmas with the Adams Family. Trust me when I say Julia, Tom, and myself had a blast talking about these old classic black and white sitcoms. So you definitely do not want to miss that episode. And on Tuesday, July 6th, Tom, Julia, and I will be joined by Kendall Foray of For Fork's Sakes podcast to record our episode in which we will be discussing the Christmas episode of the beloved Canadian sitcom Schitt's Creek. So that'll be a fun one, and we'll be dropping in our feeds on Monday, July 12th. Before that, however, on Thursday, July 8th, you'll get to hear chapter 23 of another Christmas story entitled Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, which Adam of the Merry Britmas podcast will be reading to y'all. So make sure to keep your eyes on your podcast feeds for that as well. Lots of exciting stuff is coming up, but that's not the most exciting news we have for you today. The most exciting news that we have for you is the fact that there are only 177 days left until Christmas. We are in July, guys. Take a moment to appreciate that. We are past the halfway point to Christmas and on the downward spiral now. Hallmark stores will be selling the first batch of their keepsake ornaments as of next week. Hallmark Channel is playing all their Christmas films all month long. I seriously personally recommend checking out Alicia Witt's Christmas Tree Lane if you can. We here at Tis a Podcast, meanwhile, are collaborating with some awesome people you know and love and have heard countless times over on our show and on others to bring you something special for Christmas in July. Because yes, Christmas in July is this month as well. Michael's and Hobby Lobby and all of those craft stores will start putting up their fall stuff this month, along with some winter and Christmas stuff. Target will be putting up their Halloween stuff alongside the back-to-school stuff after the 4th. Come August, Starbucks and Dunkin' will be bringing back our favorite fall-flavored drinks. And before you know it, September will be here and will officially be in the Burr months and fast approaching that most wonderful time of the year. This year is flying, so buckle in and enjoy every second of the ride, because Christmas will be here before you know it, and in the blink of an eye, we'll be counting down to Christmas 2022. So, once again, thank you all for your love and support. We couldn't ask for better listeners in the world than all of you. You're truly the best, and we are so lucky we get to consider you all legitimate friends, and so many of you family. Make sure to do your homework, 
Watch I Love Lucy, The Addams Family, and Schitt's Creek. To our Canadian listeners, we hope you had an amazing Canada Day. To our American listeners, we hope you have a great 4th of July and an amazing long weekend. And we shall speak to you all on Monday. Bye, y'all. Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe She'd been drinking too much eggnog And we begged her not to go But she forgot her medication And she staggered through the door out in the snow When we found her Christmas morning At the scene of the attack She had hoof prints on her forehead And incriminating claws marks on her back Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Now we're all so proud of Grandpa He's been taking this so well See him in there watching football Drinking beer and playing cards with Cousin Mel It's not Christmas without Grandpa All the families dressed in black And we just can't help but wonder Should we open up her gifts or send them back? Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa As for me and Grandpa we